Hey everyone, this is Jason Probst, That Guy in Hutch. And this week on That Podcast in Hutch, I sat down with USD 308 Hutchinson School Board member, Kel Dennison. I wanted to talk to Kel because there's a, a lot of headlines out there about what's happening with schools as we open up the school year. And uh, one big headline that, uh, that I've seen floating around a lot is out of Wellington, uh, just south of us, where uh, they had so many cases, they just shut school down for a while. And so I thought with kids going back into the school year, this would be a good time to visit with a school board member uh, about kind of the, the difficulty of making hard decisions that have to be made. There's not an option to not make these decisions. And, and to kind of get some insight into her thinking about uh, how the school board uh, went about making those decisions and moving into the school year. A couple of things I, I want to make sure and note. Kel is speaking on her own. An interesting dynamic that I've seen with school boards over the years is they, they really, they have the discussion. They might have a divided vote on any given issue, but when the vote is taken, uh, there's a sort of respect that that was the decision of the board. Uh, the losers, uh, so to speak, accept the board's decision and everyone moves forward as a united front. In the case of uh, masks that was decided for Hutchinson schools indoors, they would require a mask. That was a six to zero vote. There was discussion, but ultimately all school board members agreed to that. But Kel, uh, as she speaks today, is speaking as an individual member of the board. She's not speaking on behalf of the board. And I want to make sure everyone uh, understands that my conversation with her is with her and no one else. I hope you'll listen to the end. I felt like we had a really good conversation, and I think Kel did a great job of articulating uh, kind of the, the difficulty that some school board members, actually all school board members, are in across the state. I've always felt that in, in, in the time since COVID hit in the spring of last year, that the group of people who had the hardest job in the state was school board members. These are people who ran for office for no other reason than they want to serve their community, serve children, and help make their town and their school district a better place. And something happens that's completely outside their control. And they were asked to make very challenging, very hard decisions. And in those decisions, they had a lot of people who had a lot of different ideas about how to move forward. Uh, but ultimately, the people who are elected to make those decisions have to make them. And so I have a great deal of respect for, for school board members who've had to deal with a lot of adversity and a lot of uh, challenges in the last year. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kel, and uh, let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. This is Jason Probst, That Guy in Hutch, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch. And this is our first real live episode. We did one episode before to kind of introduce everyone to what we're doing here. Uh, but today, for my first episode, I have uh, my friend and USD 308 Hutchinson School Board member, Kel Dennison. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Jason. So part of the reason I wanted to have you on, Kel, is we, we've had a couple of conversations and um, very good conversations, but uh, right now we have school just opening up. Uh, we, we're about two weeks into the school year, and there's been stories kind of popping up all over the state about schools having to close because they've had some COVID cases and COVID outbreaks. And so I wanted to talk with you a little bit initially about uh, 
kind of how the school year is going here in Hutch so far? You know, the school year so far has gone remarkably well. Um, one of the things that as our administration was planning for this upcoming school year is we wanted to take away as many unknowns as we possibly could. And so we positioned ourselves so that we wouldn't have to make a lot of changes. Pivot was a big word um, back when the pandemic started. And we felt that those were really hard on our families. And so what we wanted to do was try and set ourselves up for success right out of the gate. And so far, things seem to be going very well. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit what, what, in terms of what sort of lessons did you learn from the last year? Because last year, this hit Towards the end of the school year, everyone had to make snap decisions. Everyone had to try to decide with very little information, very little knowledge about how best to, to wrap up the school year. Uh, but there were some, some lessons learned in all of that. Uh, can you talk about some of that and how that was applied in this school year? Yeah, some of the lessons that we learned um, as, as a community and as, as educators as well are how much our, our families depend on the schools and, and that, that piece of, of the school system being part of the community is so much larger than, than even we understood. We realized as we were going through the, the kind of emergency stage of the pandemic, um, we needed to make sure that we still had social services for, for our families that needed them. We needed to make sure the basics were met, kids were fed, some of those things that we always take for granted that the schools provide for our students and our families and the community. And we realized that um, those were a priority. So luckily, um, we were able to kind of regroup over the summer. Um, and when I say we, I want to make sure that everyone understands that as a board member, I don't do the heavy lifting. Um, th that's being done by our administration, by our teachers, by the rest of our staff. They're coming up with all the really creative ways to meet our, the needs of our students and our families. And they just did an amazing job. And, and even, even when we were in the crisis phase, they did a great job. But as, we, as we've been able to breathe a little bit and think things through, I think we've done a really great job of trying to meet the needs of the community. Last spring, our parents told us loud and clear that they wanted our students in school, that that was really important both economically as well as for socio-emotional growth for our, our kids that they needed to be in school. And so we really listened to that as a board and as a district and talked about what we could do to make that happen. And that's where we put in some kind of extra safety protocols and did some things to try and make sure that we met the needs of our communities and our students and our families. That's one of the things, I think that's a good point that you made there. We have kind of been on autopilot for a number of years as it relates to education, I think. And I think, you know, we get our kids ready in the morning and we send them to school and we go to work and then we get them at the end of the day and we run them their activities. But, you know, the old adage about absence makes the heart grow fonder uh, once that wasn't an option and we had to start experimenting with some different delivery models for education, uh, we quickly, it became very clear that it's not just where we send our kids to learn. This is a f part of the fabric of our daily lives. We are, uh, we rely on it so that we can go to work, so that parents can go to work. We rely on it so that we can, uh, uh, like you said, have uh, kind of a community built around that. So I, th I think there's a lot of things that came out of education that, that we hadn't realized before. Well, another thing I wanted to mention that you made me think about is uh, there's been a lot of criticism out in, in the world about uh, how this was handled. And I know uh, we've had conversations. I thought the legislature uh, tried to do some things that were very punitive to schools. But 
as I looked at it, what I saw was, yes, it was frustrating. Yes, there were a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of experimentation on how to get through this. But what was remarkable to me out of all of this was the uh, flexibility and adaptability of so many people across the state, educators and administrators, to look at this situation and figure out what can we do to try to continue to deliver education despite the fact that we have this thing that has happened that has never happened in anyone's lifetime who's alive today. And I think that sometimes we lose the gravity of that, that this is a completely new situation that would be people were trying to navigate. And considering all that, I think we did it reasonably well. Yeah, absolutely. It, no one had a playbook. No one had any idea what, what, to, what to do. I'm so impressed with all the creativity and, and all of the things that people all across the state came up with to fill these needs. Because when, when we're talking about needs, we're talking about kids. And, and to me, it's just too important to fail. It's really important that, that we have the people in the positions that we did who were able to, to put in the time and the, the energy and the thought into uh, trying, to, trying to succeed for these kids because it's really important. We, can, we can't let that, that uh, we can't fail at this. Yeah, that's not, that's not one of the things that you can just set down and worry about later. Right, exactly, exactly. So along those lines, uh, last year wraps up, we go into crisis mode, figure out how to do that, have the time during the summer to regroup and plan. And we have maybe a little more information and data. We have a vaccine. So coming into this school year, uh, I know that the school boards across the state and in Hutchinson had some hard decisions to make. And in Hutchinson, uh, probably the most uh, controversial or one of the ones that got the most attention was whether masks were going to be required inside. And the school board voted uh, six to zero to have masks required inside. Can you talk to me a little bit about some of the thought processes in that and some of the discussion that the board had uh, and why you ultimately came to that decision? Well, one thing that I want to emphasize is when I'm visiting with you today, I, I'm visiting with you as as Kale Dennison, and and not as I'm I'm not speaking for the board. That's something that we we uh, do as a as a school board, and we do it very well. We have um, a lot of great conversation about about decisions that we make. But when we make a decision, ultimately it was a board decision. It wasn't an individual decision, um, and. I think that we were all very open-minded about what we needed to do. Speaking for myself, I'll say that I did a lot of research into what I thought was important and, and ways to protect our community. In addition, um, when I'm thinking of ways to protect our community, I'm not just thinking of ways to protect our community's health. I'm also looking at ways to protect our community's economy. I'm also looking at ways to protect our, our mental health of our students. And I'm also looking at ways that we can stay within all the legal boundaries that we had been given. Um, you're very aware of a lot of the state boundaries that we were given as, as school districts in what we were allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do. A lot of our general public is not aware of the, the concept of seat time and what that means. Um, basically, a, a law was enacted where we are bound to have our students in, in class a certain number of hours to count as an academic year. 
and and there are some waivers and some special circumstances that we can do, but they're they're relatively unproven and unknown. And certainly, it's not going to be in the best interest of our students to be spending a lot of time doing legislative things and not doing educational things. So we were looking at what can we do that we know we can stay in bounds, that we can do everything that we can to keep kids in their seats in their classrooms with their teachers. We know throughout all of time, in every study I've ever seen, students learn best by having their teacher with them. And we wanted to see what we could do to ensure the the chance of that happening, um, that that was the most important thing to us. So... So what I, I want to make sure I had what I hear the, the the guiding principle in this conversation was how do we keep kids in the classroom for the most amount of time? Absolutely. And in that overarching goal, you're also trying to balance the demands of competing constituencies. And and some of your constituencies are teachers and faculty, mm-hmm. um, students, parents of students, and within that. Uh, all the people who have varying degrees of opinions on whether uh, the school is doing the right thing, whether they should even be in school there, because there are, there are people who think schools shouldn't be in session at all, that everything should be remote. That's not feasible for a lot of parents. There are students and parents who think that school should be in person all the time, no matter what, no matter what the circumstance, no matter how many COVID cases you have. And then you have some people who don't know and they, they want some more information. And you as a school board member, uh, keeping this overarching goal in mind that we've recognized that for our community, our economy, and our students, the best thing is keeping students in the classroom while also trying to manage and account for all the competing concerns that your various constituencies have. Can you talk about that must-be-maddening process a little bit? It is really difficult. Um, And... You know, everything that we do has a huge ripple effect. And if we say, you know, we're going to have kids in the classroom no matter what, then then we need to think about, well, what happens then if we do have positive cases? What do quarantine situations look like? How do we catch kids up from learning gaps then? We're already dealing with learning gaps from last year and still trying to catch up from that. And then we don't want to create any more if we can help it. Um, we have a teacher shortage in, in the country and in the state of Kansas, and we still have some full-time teacher positions in 308 that are not filled at this point right now. Um, it's, it's something that if you have to have substitute teachers because you've had a teacher that's exposed or ill, quarantined, whatever the case is, we need to make sure that we still have what we need to, to run an effective school building. And so there are all those things. We have um, teacher's contracts that factor into things. We have, um, like you said, a lot of a lot of um, competing priorities, and kind of weighing those out and trying to come up with the the what we think is a reasonable plan. And and I'm going to say that that there is no perfect plan when we're dealing with things like this. What I think that we we aimed for, and I think that we achieved, was a reasonable plan. And in that, you're trying to achieve the most good for the most people. And, and that was kind of the, the core of what, what the board decided is this is how we do that. Right. So in that meeting, there was a lot of discussion, uh, both from within the board and from the public. And some of it uh, to be, in I guess, the most kind term I can come up with was unpleasant. Can, can you talk to me about what it feels like on your end to be trying to make the best decision you can, knowing that you're not going to please everyone, but knowing that you also have a duty to make a decision. I mean, when you're in an elected office, particularly on something small like a school board, 
it's not an option for you to say pass. You can't say, I'm just not going to take a position on this. This is why you were elected. This is what you're here to do. And it falls on you to make that decision. And yet you're getting a lot of kind of vitriol thrown at you. Can you talk about, this is a person, how that feels? It's not easy. Uh, in, in reality, it's not easy. I, I, I take what I do on the school board and really with anything that I do very personally and very seriously, if it's worth my time, it's something that's important to me. Um, it, it, it's hard to be criticized. It's important to be criticized, though, because we need to hear all sides of, of every issue. And, and again, everything that we do has a ripple effect and we need to, to see what, what those ripples are and what's within our tolerance um, as far as what what. Are we really judging what's what's the greater good, so to speak, for everyone? We want to make sure that we hear hear how different decisions are going to affect different people. So I spend a lot of time personally listening to 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 different viewpoints. And we did get a lot of emails prior to the meeting. Um, I take a lot of time reading every single one of them. Um, if I'm given articles that point to to different things, um, be it masks, be it anything else, because we have we do we do make a lot of decisions that don't have to do with just masks, and um, you know I spend a lot of time researching and listening to to different viewpoints and how different decisions and different different um, different things weigh in and how they're going to affect different families and different staff members and kind of try and look at at what what seems reasonable. Um, but it is hard. It's it's definitely hard. Um, I I do think that th- this was was especially hard. But one thing that I will say that was really positive in my view that came out of this is I love seeing people passionate and caring about our kids. And I hope when this pandemic is over that we have people just as passionate and care just as much about our kids' education when we're talking about different curriculum changes when we're talking about um, how do we want uh, our students to be successful in the future, what does that look like, what do we want to do. I hope that we have people that are just as passionate about those things as well. Uh, Now, this is a good point that I hadn't planned on getting into, but that school board meeting on this issue that's been kind of, you know, got caught up into politics and things like that, it, it drew a lot of people out. But in my years with the Hutchison News, school board meetings typically don't draw many people. I mean, I covered some school board meetings where there were maybe two or three people in the audience, and that's probably the norm, isn't it? It is. Unfortunately, it is. But it's kind of like everything. As long as people think things are going along okay and you're making reasonable decisions, you don't hear about it until people don't think you're making reasonable decisions or or that there's some sort of personal vested interest that they have in something specific that you're doing. But yeah, I would I would love to see more community members present at the meetings, and and I I love to hear from community members, and I, I I do think that I can speak for the rest of the board members and say that we're all very open. We do want to hear what people have to say. Um, we'd like it to be you know in a, in a really civil sort of way where we're we're engaging and trying to figure out what's best for students because at the end of the day, that's why we're there. We're not there for any other reason other than what's best for students. Yeah. So some of the rhetoric that's you know, come out in, in this issue surrounding the COVID and, and mask, um, I'm going to assume that you didn't run for school board so that you could wield unstoppable power and take people's individual liberties away and, and force your uh, views on them and make them conform to your ideas on life. 
No, certainly not. Um, the real reason why I got involved in the school board is I, I have I have a family myself. I have children. Um, education's always been incredibly important to me. I see education as the great equalizer. I think that it's important for every community to offer lots of opportunities for students and give them chances and choices so that they can do whatever they choose with their life. And I also think that it's incredibly important if if I want those things for my my students, for my children, and I want them for the children that I know and the children in our community, I better be willing to put forth some effort to try and see see that that can happen. And so that's why I got involved in the school board, because I wanted to help provide opportunities for our kids. And, and the school board position is completely volunteer. No pay for that. Uh, no real perks. I mean, maybe maybe you get recognized at a football game or something sometime, but that's about the extent of it, right? Yeah. In the state of Kansas, school board members are not paid. That is not true always nationwide, but in the state of Kansas by statute, we are, we are not paid. We do this because we care about kids and we care about what's going on in our community. And um, we're, we're just, we're just a, a piece of the, the process. We, I, don't, I don't know anyone on the board with me who does this because they think it's a glamorous position. We think it's an important position. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier one of the, uh, some of the activity from the legislature this year, and there were two big pieces of legislation that, that directly affected schools. Uh, one was the school finance uh, bill, which we do every year to kind of provide funding for schools. The other was SB 40, uh, which put a lot of restrictions on local units of government and what they could do uh, if if the pandemic came up again, if if we started seeing excessive positive cases and felt like there was a need to do something in that legislation, and I, I'll say it again, and I've described it this way several times, the last legislative session seemed to be to me to be very backwards looking and mad about what had happened in the previous year, and carried that anger forward and and kind of prospectively created legislation that would affect what school boards could do. In that legislation, we severely restricted your ability to take measures to protect students. Is, is that a fair assessment? I, I, I think it certainly threw some wrenches in there. It, it made it very challenging. Um, the, the idea that we can't, can't do more than 40 hours of remote learning, which is what came out of that Senate Bill 40, um, that, that, that's really tough because when it comes to education, it is not one size fits all. And School boards in smaller communities, school boards in larger communities uh, have different obstacles. They have different needs that their students have that need to be met. For example, when some of those some of those restrictions came out in those bills, um, it didn't take into account some of the federal laws that we still have to meet. Um, we still have to provide all of our special education services, for example, and some of those other things. And and um, that gets very difficult from time to time to try and juggle all of those restrictions and all of those all of those things. But that's why it's so important that school board isn't looked at as a partisan position. Um, you know, when when we run for school board, we don't run under a party. And and I think that that's really important because once again, our focus always needs to be kids. And so there will always be a certain amount of that kind of partisan back and forth. Unfortunately, this is this has gotten to be um, pretty high levels of it. But I think that as long as we locally keep in mind what we're doing for our students, we'll be all right. One of the things that's always struck me about the legislature uh, since I've been there, 
and, and actually before, because I've seen it play out before. Uh, we love local control uh, until we don't. And this is an example of this. I, we hear all the time that curriculum should be decided at the most local level. We, we all agree that uh, the curriculum that might apply in Johnson County might not be the best curriculum to apply. We have some broad guidelines, but we like to let local school boards decide for their, for their own students how to manage that. But then we come to something like this, like how to manage a student population in the, in the middle of a pandemic, and the legislature just took all the tools away. And uh, I, I might do a quick summary real quick on the legislation. Basically, I think the thing that affected school boards the most was this 40-hour remote learning. If they, if they can't exceed 40 hours of remote learning, if they do, they have to apply for a waiver. And if they're successful in getting that waiver, they can do up to 240 hours. But if they do more than 240 hours, that the students that do that are considered uh, virtual students and the funding for that student is severely reduced. Is that is my understanding of that correct? That is correct. And and when, when you say that the funding is severely reduced, it, it's reduced by about 40% um, when we're talking about a, a Hutch student who might be, you know, have at-risk funds and other things attached to it. It, it, it's, it makes a huge difference. And, and it's really important for legislators when they make bills like that to understand that we've already signed teachers' contracts. We've already committed the funds for these students. And so when we when we have our funding um, pulled away for students that we're trying to take care of and we're still trying to meet all of the federal requirements for those students, that gets very difficult. And 40 hours of remote learning is not very much if you wind up having a couple of quarantined classes. That doesn't go very far. And we're already starting to see that, right? There's a pretty well-known story now about Wellington. Uh, I know that uh, Nickerson had at least some classrooms with positive cases. And in the absence of alternatives that these schools can use, they're opting to just shut down either entire schools or classrooms. And I, I, from our, you know, earlier in the conversation, that's exactly what you were hoping to avoid as a school board was this situation where we, we've had all of our alter- alternatives taken away on one side. If we don't take some measures to ensure that students can stay in the classroom, without under those circumstances, we may end up having to shut down schools or classrooms, and then that creates a whole nother set of issues, right? Exactly. That, that's, that's the exact dilemma that we were faced with. And, and like I said, is it a perfect solution? Absolutely not. Is it something that we all felt was, was reasonable? I, I think it was. Yeah. And, and so, so far, everything's going pretty well. It seems we, we haven't had to shut down any schools or, or classrooms in Hutch so far, have we? So far not. I'm, I'm very hopeful that, that we won't have to. And, uh, and, and on that issue about shutting down classrooms, I, it, you, you kind of mentioned earlier about the, the learning gap. When you have to shut down a classroom, you know, for 10 days or however long until students can get tested and come back, uh, it creates a lot of dynamics that aren't good for students, right? They're, they're missing class. They lose the consistency in their life and their schedule as it relates to school. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? I think that overall, we, we can all agree that kids like structure. And anytime things uh, things exist that disrupt structure for students, um, we always have problems, be it an extended Christmas break, be it um, you know, wh- whatever it is, the state fairs in town that week, when we when we don't have as much structure for students, we have loss of learning. And so 
anything that we can do to make sure that we have as much structure as possible for our students, I think is really important. And trying to take away as many of those extra um, things that we can't control, are, are it's really important for our students. Well, tell me, I mean, we have, uh, you know, the headlines are all about uh, COVID and schools and masks and everybody's angry and it seems that there's a lot of effort to keep people angry. But aside from that, there are within uh, the school district, there are a lot of things to be excited about and a lot of su- success stories. Can you tell me a couple of things that you're excited about or happy to see happening at Hutchinson? You know, that's one of the things that I think that we don't do enough in in education is we talk a lot about the things that we wish we could improve and we don't talk as much about the things that we're doing really, really well. And I do believe um, that in the last five years since I've been on the school board, I've seen seen a lot of change. We've done a lot more with our graduates. I think that they're a lot more prepared than they used to be to go out into the real world. In education, we've kind of switched our focus instead of being on academic tests and, and, and meeting state standards for various things. We've kind of looked at what does that look like and how does that translate into the, the world beyond our four walls when we have these kids in school. And We've looked at a lot of data recently where we've seen that that our kids are improving. Um, they, they are becoming more successful outside of our school walls when they graduate. They're, they're, they have more of the uh, skills and tools that they need to be successful in our community, which I think is, is really important. And I think it's important to note, too, that uh, schools have had to pick up a lot of elements that maybe they didn't have to do before. I mean, I know with some of my visits to schools, we're talking a lot more about having in-school therapists. We're trying to work with families to kind of make sure that they are uh, working with children uh, on emotional regulation. Uh, Sometimes that gets caught up in some of these discussions too, but I think it's generally accepted that if a child can't focus and is can't regulate his or her emotions, uh, that learning doesn't happen. And so in some ways, particularly in a district like Hutchinson, which has a, a high number of at-risk students, uh, we, we have to incorporate that into, into what we do. And that's been an added, an added thing. And I think the schools have done well with that, but, but that's been a thing that they've had to pick up in the last maybe 10 years or so. Right. Um, and, and that's part of the having the students prepared and ready to learn. That, that's so important. Um, we talk about that with, with young kids. It's it, all the way through. It's important. You know, as adults, we, we sometimes have bad days at work, too. And, and we aren't as productive. And, and, and why would a child be any different? And so we, we've kind of acknowledged that as, as a truth, that, that we know that we need to, to meet kids where they are that day and, and what we need to do to help get them to the place where they're ready to learn. I think that that's really important. Um, I think that that will ensure that we don't leave as many children um, behind. It'll help with that gap um, because if we don't address those things, those gaps just keep getting larger and larger. And that's not good for anyone. That's not good for the student. That's not good for the family. And that's not good for our community. That's right, because those there's there's a lot of data out there about this, that those gaps, if they continue to get bigger and bigger, there's a social cost to that when these children are adults, right? 
Absolutely. You know, if you think about the the student that has a hard time um, concentrating in school for whatever social reasons that they have going on at home, they don't get the education that they deserve. And then they go on as adults, and they still don't know how to address those basic needs as an adult, then the community needs to help them take care of it at that point. It's much, much more efficient. It's much more humane. It's better for everyone if we help these kids learn all the way through how to take care of things. I always try to remind people that they might be kids today, but 30 years from now, they are the people uh, taking care of you in a nursing home or uh, in a hospital or at a doctor's office. They're going to be your leaders. They're going to be the people in office. Uh, and we get to choose at this point what kind of investment we're making and what kind of effort we're going to put in the future that we will have to live under uh, at some point when we, when we are moving on with our lives and a new generation of people have moved into uh, the power position, so to speak. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, tell me, uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about it earlier, but tell me why you do this work. What drives you to want to uh, go to the school board meetings, answer the emails, uh, listen to the rhetoric, uh, go through the trouble of trying to make very difficult decisions all for free? It boils down to I love kids. I love to see the potential that kids have. I love to, to see them um, tackle new challenges. I love to see them have opportunities that maybe they didn't think that they would get. Um, and I love to see them succeed. And, and I think that at this point in my life, this was a really great way for me to try and help ensure that kids get choices and opportunities. And um, like I said, I, I think it's really important for the future of our community. I don't think that there's any group of people that you could work with or any organization that you could work with that um, has a greater impact on the whole fabric of a community than schools. Thank you. Thank you for serving our community, and thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Jason. One of the things I want to make sure we do every episode with that podcast and Hutch is highlight some of the things that are going on in the community. I've mentioned before that a lot of people I'll hear say, there's nothing to do in town, there's nothing to do in Hutchinson. And I found that to be not the case. I've found that there's often a lot going on and uh, I I wanna start highlighting some of those things. So uh, just real quick, a couple of things that I know are coming up. We all know that the State Fair is gonna be back this year. That'll begin on September 10th, uh, the Friday the 10th. And it, it should be very good this year. I know there's a lot of pent up demand. We didn't have the fair last year because of COVID. And I think the feeling this year is that there's going to be a lot of excitement around the fair. I also want to remind people that the farmer's market is still going on. And if you're not buying your fruits and vegetables uh, and whatever else you can get at the farmer's market, you're really missing out. I go there and I, I spend very little money and I walk out with bags full of vegetables. That's happening on Saturday from 730 until 1230 and also on Wednesday from 10 to 1. Uh, I know that there are some other events going on uh, in the community, but I want to use this as an opportunity to ask people if there's an event that you have going on, uh, if, you're, if your group's putting on a show or a car wash or anything of that sort, be sure to reach out to me. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we have contact information on the website 
and in the comments. And uh, you can always reach out to me at that guy and hutch at gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs>